The Thank God for Bitcoin podcast is brought to you by IRS Guard Dog. IRS Guard Dog is a tax monitoring service that alerts you to existing and even prospective problems that arise with your IRS account. I spoke with Clinton Donnelly, the CEO of IRS Guard Dog, the other day, and he shared about a recent client that they had helped who hadn't paid his taxes in six years. I'm sure none of our TGFB listeners could ever fathom getting in that kind of situation, but he was, and he needed help getting up to date. So they took a look at his account and through their service were able to see that the IRS was preparing to audit him. He brought all his paperwork to Clinton and his team, filed six years of tax returns within a couple months, and checked his account a short while later to find that the IRS had actually reversed the decision to audit him, which saved him and his business thousands of dollars in legal fees and a ton of time. IRS Guard Dog offers four service tiers, ranging from as little as $12 a month up to $249 a month for full active monitoring, consultation, fix, audit defense, and audit appeal. Clinton is a former pastor and was also one of our presenting sponsors at the Thank God for Bitcoin conference in Miami uh, this past year. Go ahead over to irsguarddog.com and use promo code TGFB. You can find out more there and let them know that you found them via us. That does a, a lot to help support us as a business and ensure that we can continue to make podcasts like this going forward in the future. Toshi Sound, welcome to the Thank God for Bitcoin podcast. Thank you, Jordan, for having me. Really pl- uh, pleased to be here. Yeah, man, it's, I've been looking forward to this for a while. Uh, you and I met at Bitblock Boom, which is a Bitcoin conference in Austin, Texas, every year. Yeah. Uh, got, so got the shirt on. <laughs> hey, there you go. Yep. So super grateful for Gary and putting him putting that conference together. It was my first time this year, and really enjoyed it. Uh, but why don't, for people who may, might not be familiar with you, why don't you kind of introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name's Robert. I have a, uh, I guess, a pseudonym online, a pen name. Uh, you, you could probably find out who I am if you dig enough, but I figured I might as well make it a little bit, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, you mean your mom didn't name you Satoshi Sound? This is this is news to me. <laughs> Believe it or not, she was way ahead of her time. No? Um yeah. So, but yeah. I, so let's see where to start. Um, well, I, I was raised in a Christian home. Um, I was homeschooled, which I think was a huge advantage mm. uh, in many ways. Um, you know, my mom would spend mornings with me doing sort of what would be a traditional school, uh, you know, school's uh, day worth of work. Um, and when you don't have kids running around being crazy, like you really can get, you know, your math, reading your basics, you can get them done pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and she was actually um, educated as as a teacher uh, at uh, at a Christian school in Minnesota University up there. So uh, King's College, I think. I don't know if it's still around. Or I think maybe they renamed it to Crown, something like that. Mm. Okay. But anyway, um, so my childhood was, you know, I had a lot of time to just explore. And pretty much every afternoon I could do essentially self-directed, um, you know, learning, exploration, whatever. So uh, when I was really young, it was a lot of Legos. And then as I got older, it was um, a lot of reading of books, going to the library and stuff. Um, so, I, you know, I guess I would say um, I, I did well in school. I was always, you know, 90, 90th percentile um, kind of thing. Um, and I think the education and being homeschooled was a really big part of that. Um, so, but, you know, I guess I'll just kind of combine my life story and my testimony because they, yeah. they go together. Um uh, so yeah, and then I, in high school, I went to a Christian, uh, school, um, and that was, you know, generally a good experience. I'm from Ohio, uh, so that's, you know, where that was happening. Um, 
you know, but I, I think a lot of folks, well, really our entire generation, um, which would be, I guess I'm a millennial. I think you're probably millennial as well, although yep. maybe on the younger end. Yep. Um, I'm like an older millennial, I think. But, <laughs> you know, the millennial generation, I think we were kind of at the tail end of the prosperity that still existed in large part due to, you know, what, a couple hundred years more or less of sound money. And, uh, and and just the prosperity of, I would also say, of a country that um, really practiced and understood the value of the rule of law. And, um, you know, and so, but I, I think we we basically were indoctrinated, let's say, by um, by Hollywood and, and things like that. And I think my family was, I guess you could say, not like legalistic was the term we used, right? So yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, you can watch movies, you can listen to secular music. You know, and I think I never really realized just how um, dangerous it is to, you know, but with songs, you essentially are, you're praying something, you're, you're repeating it, it's a mantra, right? And and that that seeps into your into your your mind and obviously eventually your subconscious and it really yeah. gets you. So, you know, long story short, I, I think a lot of that, um, like I remember I got really into like Dave Matthews in high school and some of these bands and I was into music. That was what I wanted to do. And that was kind of my first um, stab at a career. I had a little studio on our family, our family farm. Yeah, I recorded some music and on my own music. I also recorded other local artists and groups and stuff. And, you know, and that was also my first time really digging into computers. Um, at that point, this was like around, you know, the year 2000, you know, give or take a couple of years in that range. Um, you know, so I had like these big Dell uh, desktop computers and I'd have to essentially, you know, pull them apart, stick cards in them, um, you know, deal with getting the cards to work. Like today you just get a computer and you plug something in and it works. But, yeah. you know, it wasn't like that then. Um, so I, I wouldn't say I was I wasn't like a computer engineer at that point, but I was pretty, pretty good with computers and enjoyed working with them. Uh, and I actually wanted to at one point, like in middle school, I got some classes um well some some books rather uh to learn um to learn c and it was visual c and uh at that point i think i was a little too young and i didn't have really any support aside from just like this book and you know i was really into computer games like uh all the rts games um and like the strategy games like civilization okay so at that point i wanted to make video games and then i also got into music so i was kind of always pulled a little bit, I would say in two directions, really loving music. I got, I was a uh, self-taught drummer from like age 13. And I would say still I'm fairly proficient, although I really haven't played in a long time, or at least yeah. very rarely do I, do I get to play. Um, but yeah, so music and computers have really kind of been my two loves, you know, as I've grown up. Um, but anyway, at the end of high school and into college, I started going to Ohio State University and, you know, I was, I would say I was really, um, I was drawn to basically to secular humanism and to, you know, rational, this idea that, um, you know, rational, uh, what would you say, um, materialism, right? Like yeah. everything is just material. And, uh, and, and, you know, to be clear, I had, I was very involved in my church in well, multiple churches growing up. Um, I was actually a worship leader in high school. And into college, I worked um, as a worship leader in several churches and sort of paid some of my bills that way. Um, 
but the you know and and what was interesting too about this is i there's a slippery slope in in christianity where you can go from believing that god's word is inspired which i believe today to getting to a point where uh you know you you can you can essentially try to argue it away piece by piece yeah um and uh you know so i the last church i really faithfully attended was a presbyterian church uh, i'm not gonna i don't know all presbyterian churches or pastors but in this instance, you know, this guy was actually a Princeton graduate, very, oh, very, very brainy, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, but, you know, he basically was like, yeah, Genesis is an allegory, you know, evolution is real, la, 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 la. And, uh, and so that was kind of the beginning of me uh, sort of compartmentalizing, I would say, my, my faith into a smaller and smaller box where it was like, uh, it, here's the, and I think at that age too, I really kind of had, it was almost like, this is the woo woo part of like life, which is, which is Christianity. And then there's like the, the physical material, the real world, which is the real world, yeah. science and all this other stuff. Right. And so as I went down that path, um, I just, th- that box became smaller and smaller and smaller, uh, until basically by the time I ended, uh, college, I was an English major, uh, and that was mostly just pragmatic because I had started as a music major. I moved to Nashville for a year. I moved back because it was extremely expensive. I was going to this school. Um, um, oh my goodness. Not what's it called? Um, can't even remember the name. It's been yeah. so long. I believe bl- I'm blanking on the name. It's, um, it's, it's a big music school, uh, Belmont, Belmont university. Yeah. So I went to Belmont for a year, um, moved back, Finished up as an English major. But yeah, you know, and, and my professors, as I guess you could imagine, with, especially with English, like these guys were good with language. So and we really and I, we really got into like the deconstruction and uh, and even some of the queer theory and some yeah. of the stuff that's really can can screw with your brain, quite frankly. So um, are you reading, just for a quick, were you reading, my wife was an English major, so like, were you reading like Derrida and Foucault and all those guys? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. all of yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and I think in the relativist or not relativism. Yeah. Relativism, um, I think is the term, although I'm blanking on, there's another school of thought. Um, oh, existentialist, existentialist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of existentialists. And I, I really was persuaded by a lot of, a lot of it. Cause I, I guess, you know, in a sense they were able to try to recreate a Christian ethic potentially outside of Christianity. That seemed to be the goal of some of these guys. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but with putting yourself on the throne and worshiping ultimately yourself That's in correct. your mind. And, correct. Yeah. So, so that, that all obviously had a big impact on me. Um, I moved to New York city after, uh, after college and with an English degree, it's hard to find work. So I was working, <laughs> I got a job for the uh, in the New York City school system through this thing called Teach. Uh, oh, sorry, not Teach for America. That was the other one. It was um, New York City Teaching Fellows was the name of the program. Mm. But essentially, it was of course like all these government things. Uh, sounded really good, um, altruistic. Like we're going to go in and fix these broken schools, you know. And all you it was just because you didn't have good teachers. That was it. it you know, <laughs> no other reason. Uh, you just needed some good teachers. So. Yeah, so I moved to New York, uh, and they paid for for me to study to get a master's degree. So I have a master's in of science. <laughs> Sweet, <laughs> yeah. So it's awesome. I'm so I'm so smart. Uh, in urban master's of science in urban education, and um, so I did that for three years. 
Uh, and I would say that was maybe the very beginning of, you know, some cracks forming in the brainwashing that I had uh, been subjected to. Because, you know, essentially after college, I, I was I, I was never like a full on, um, you know, socialist or anything. I didn't go quite that full retard, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but 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 I was like, yeah, thankfully, thankfully. I, so I think I still had the. Um, I was essentially libertarian before I knew the word, right? Yeah. Uh, but but at that age, I was like, yeah, I mean, the you know, the government isn't great, but you know, it has its. It, I was like a, a small L libertarian, and like, there's some uses for government. Maybe we should make the you know the federal government should be smaller, but surely the public education system is, by and large, a good thing, you know, and that sort of sort of idea, and so. So I taught for three years. Um, by the end of it, I had read, uh, and for anyone in education or even outside of it, um, Dumbing Us Down by John Taylor Gatto is a phenomenal book, uh, very well worth reading. And this is a guy who was a, a New York City school teacher for his entire career. Um, but he was a very unconventional teacher, and he did actually have quite a bit of success with his students. Um, but in the book, he essentially goes into explaining, uh, you know, how our, our, the modern education system is this system that was kind of brought over from Germany. It's a Prussian model, if you will. And then it was, you know, very much influenced also by, uh, Dewey, John Dewey, yeah. but effectively it was, well, and I would even go further than, than probably Gatto does. But in, in that book, Gatto basically explains, you know, this was a, a system to essentially educate people enough so they could be workers in a factory or whatever, uh, but to, to make them so they wouldn't really use their brains or question or think beyond a certain box they're put in. Mm. And I think he's more or less correct, although I think it's even more dangerous and pernicious than just that. Um, but anyway, so that book really, and there was a few others, but that one in particular really hit me. Um, and so I, I started to realize that there was no um, fixing or working from within the system that it was just fundamentally broken and that it really was not designed even to, to really educate or free people, uh, or give them the tools to be free functioning, uh, citizens. And, you know, and a lot of the kids I worked with also were basically a product of the, um, you know, the, uh, the nanny state. And so their parents yeah. lived in projects and they, then they were going to live in the projects and, and, it was, this is probably the, the first time where I really saw how, you know, kind of strangely, like I grew up middle class, but I had friends whose dads were doctors, lawyers. So my dad was a, fina a finance guy, but, you know, he was like, uh, just like mutual funds, annuities and sort of yeah. that kind of investment stuff. Yeah. So we, we did well enough. My dad was a hard worker and, and uh, really good. He's, well, he's still alive, thank God. But anyway, he's a good man, but we weren't super wealthy. My friends, though, I had some that were very wealthy and- what I, what I saw is, you know, when you don't have to work, when you don't, when you, when you know your life is basically taken care of and you are coddled and provided for from a young age, it could really destroy people. And I've seen a lot of wealthy kids that just end up as, you know, druggies and they, their lives are just kind of, they don't go anywhere. And, uh, and what was interesting is I realized that that is essentially what the government does to these people on welfare. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, in many regards. And so, yeah. and so that hit me and I, and that's around that time, I also found, uh, Ron Paul. Um, mm -hmm. and he was the first politician I ever listened to where I felt, I thought, okay, I think he's not lying to me all the time here. I think he's yeah. more or less telling the truth. 
Uh, and of course, time has shown that he was he has been correct on almost everything he said. And, it, yeah. you know, and of course, it's not surprising now, given all the time that's gone by where I am today and seeing that he's a Christian. Uh, right. And he understands biblical truth, which is, yeah. you know, the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And if you don't have that, you will end up uh, wrecked at some point <laughs> yeah. in your life, whether. Yeah, rugged. Maybe it's not financially right, but in some regard, eventually you will get rugged, uh, yeah. is my life experience. So Father Ron Paul uh, got into reading Austrian economics, um, went down that rabbit hole. Not super deep. I mean, I read maybe five, six books, but um, enough to, you know, for me, it's like I, I, I will dig into things to the point that I think I get the basic idea and, and I'm strong in it. And then I tend to move on. I don't always go super deep on everything. Sure. But yeah, I read like um, um, For a New Liberty, which is, you know, very much like an anarcho-capitalist book and has a lot of very interesting ideas in it. Um, read some Rothbard and some Mises. Uh, I read all of Ayn Rand's books. I, I did go down that rabbit hole. I was because I think because I was an English major and I love stories, you know, her storytelling is really quite good. Yeah. Um, and uh, so but, you know, all of that took me in the direction of libertarianism um, anarcho-capitalism, uh, sound money. I, I started working, uh, then after I quit the, uh, the teaching gig, I worked for Peter Schiff, the infamous Bitcoin hater. <laughs> I did not know that. Oh yeah. So I worked for Peter for, uh, four years almost. And, um, and I was a, a gold broker. So essentially what happened was when I was quitting my teaching job, my dad was still working as a financial advisor. So his broker dealer sponsored me and I studied and, and passed the seven and 66. So I was a licensed stockbroker. Um, I didn't end up, I mean, it was like a boiler room. I got a job at this, this place. I think it was called Maxim group or Maxis group or something like that, but it was very sleazy. Like I was only there for a few days and I, and I, you know, based on what I knew from passing this exam, I was like, I, this, this, I think some of this stuff is illegal. And at, at a minimum, it was very questionable in terms of like just high pressure sales and pushing people into things that perhaps were not good sound investments. Uh, definitely not like, you know, I, I had just that, that gut feeling like this is not something my mom would be happy about me doing. You know, <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> That's a good barometer right there. That's a the mom test. I like it. So I quit that. I worked for Peter. And I, you know, I got an interview and ended up. And so ironically, I didn't even need all the licensing I got, but I think it helped me get the interview to get the, the job with Peter. And so sure. it all worked out. But so I worked for Peter for four years. I made, I made pretty good money, um, which was, you know, nice coming from a teaching uh, job. And, and I think all, ultimately, I would say God kind of used that, that time to, you know, I, I, I guess I would say I kind of went to the end of myself in terms of, just, uh, you know, serving sin, serving myself, uh, you know, a lot of hedonism, a lot of drinking, uh, illicit, you know, just sex with women I was not, um, you know, married to, <laughs> uh, a lot of that sort of lifestyle. Um, and it was very empty. And, and I think the, the, probably the hardest thing about it all is that like in, in my soul in my heart of hearts, I just became a very, a very angry and actually very hateful person. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, this is somewhat easy to do, you know, if you live in a big city and you feel like you're already one of the elites, right? And that's, that was the, the Hollywood thing was like the really smart people, they go to the big city and they get this high paying job and, you know, and they're cutthroat and they're hard and, 
like, so I bought that and that's just basically how I was. I was just very hard hearted. Um, and, uh, but you know, I think at the same time there was a battle there and, and I, I really believe cause I had committed my life to Christ when I was a child. And so yeah. I really believe that, that, you know, Christ, I walked away from him, but he never left me and he was, he was always there. Uh, and I think he quite frankly saved me from, you know, death several times. Like I got drunk to the point of like, I couldn't walk. I was stuck in bed, puking, dehydrated, like probably not that far from death. Uh, one time in particular that I remember, um, and others, other stuff, just, just, you know, dangerous, uh, living. And, and quite frankly, when you, when you go down this nihilistic path and everything is materialistic, uh, and it's like, you know, and you really believe that I, I'm just, you know, some neurons going off in my brain. And when my brain stops firing those neurons, when I'm dead, it's all gone. There's really no point to any of it at that point. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it really is a, a spiral into just nihilism and, uh, and even self-hate. Yeah. And so I experienced all that. And I would say in many ways, I was kind of living in my own hell for several years. Mm -hmm. So on the outside, you know, I, I appeared to be doing very well and, and, uh, you know, by, by earthly standards, but my soul was really, was dying. Um, and so, and I'd been in two long relationships while I was in New York, one with a, a woman we lived together for about two years and another woman for about four years. At the end of that second relationship, um, that was around when I learned about Bitcoin. So I'm kind of tying all these things together here. Sure. What you, what year was that around? Uh, I think it would have been around like, well, when I've, okay. So with Bitcoin, I, of course, everyone has their regret story. I went to this, this thing, Porcupine Freedom Festival in New Hampshire in 2011 and I remember them using Bitcoin, uh, and and I remember thinking because I was a gold broker at the time. I worked yeah, for yeah. Peter from like 20, 2010 to twenty fourteen. So I was just like, oh, this is crazy. Money has to be a commodity, has to be a physical thing, and you know, and, and of course, you know, in my defense, in the defense of everyone who missed it the first time or two, yeah. digital scarcity was not a thing that happened yeah. before Bitcoin. So I'm just imagining that this is some Ponzi scheme or some guy just ripping people off. I didn't take the time to look uh, until 2013. Uh, so I, yeah, I just kind of filed it away as you know. There's some loony people in the you know libertarian movement. I got to watch out. And and you know, in my defense, on that regard, there really is kind of this weird spectrum where you have you've got like sort of the the grungy granola hippie druggies, and then you got like the finance guys, and then you got like the gold bugs, and you know, and maybe even sort of like the Christians, there's kind of a, a weird convergence yeah. of different yes. people. Yes. So I, yeah, so I wrote it off and then 2013, still working in gold. Uh, and, you know, I basically, as, as I worked in the, the precious metals market, I started, because I was reading the news and following it very closely, started realizing that that market has been basically captured yeah. by large bullion banks, Federal Reserve, other, um, other central banks. And they manipulate the price and they use huge huge amounts of paper derivatives to essentially paper over uh, the physical market and control it. And so I was really losing hope because when I got in initially, it was really like, this is it. This is our answer. We just get people back on sound money on gold and we're going to be able to fix this world, you know, and, 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 it, and that was where I was headed. So I was losing, losing faith in that narrative. And then 2013, I see uh, stuff on Zero Hedge about Bitcoin again, and the price is going up and up and up. And so then I started thinking, well, I mean, if this thing is a scam, they've been pretty good at making it last. And like, it, this doesn't seem 
it, you know, it, it piqued my interest. So, so then I started watching it, videos, reading. I think this is when I started finding videos by Andreas Antonopoulos. Yeah. Um, he really orange pilled me a lot. Um, I read the white paper, and even though I wasn't super deep into computers at that point in terms of computer science and and, and programming, it made enough sense that it clicked for me. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I remember. I think I even read it at work, um, and I remember basically realizing that okay, so where gold has been captured and subverted, there's a chance that this thing, this Bitcoin thing, could work, and and that it wouldn't be able to be subverted and captured because it's easy to send it and and store it, you know, without needing bullion banks and all the security and all that stuff. So it's like kind of was like the silver bullet to that problem, and so from there. Uh, and it took me about six months from interested to I'm like basically sold on this. Uh, and that so that would have been like the beginning of 2014. And that's when, you know, I first started to, to think about buying some. And um, but, you know, like a lot of early Bitcoiners, there was a lot of noise around other crypto. And, um, you know, so I, I kind of meandered for a while. I would say I was always primarily into Bitcoin. But, uh, you know, I, so my brother and I, we got some, some GPU rigs. So we had like two GPU rigs that I built and we had a, like one ASIC miner, um, like an ant miner or something or other. S no, what am I saying? I can't remember the, what, which, which model it was. It's been so long. <laughs> so let's see, um, but let me ask you, so this would have been 2014. So what other, just for people who maybe aren't as familiar with the, the crypto scene and yeah. what other crypto what was it like? Yeah, like, so you're talking, you had, like, Litecoin, like, what else was around? You had, was Ethereum around at that point? Not yet. Ethereum came a little bit later. I think it was that year, but it was later. Just later, Uh, okay. Yeah, so initially it was, like, essentially it was a lot of noise around what's the proof-of-work system, and and the argument was, like, oh, well, Bitcoin is, you know, it's now been sort of pushed outside of the everyman category because you need an ASIC, uh, so let's do like an ASIC resistant thing. So there were some projects that were doing that. Um, there were early like proof of stake models, which I, to my credit, I, even early on, I was always very suspicious of proof of stake. Yeah. Um, but there was, I think it was PeerCoin, if I remember right, was like one of the proof of stake ones. Um, FeatherCoin was like a ripoff of Litecoin. I remember that one and, and kind of feeling like, wait a minute. Like, so, you know, <laughs> Litecoin, I think at that point I thought was interesting because the narrative was like Litecoin is the silver to Bitcoin's gold, you know, and, it has, mm-hmm. that's, and coming from the gold bug background, I'm like, well, of course you need silver. Uh, <laughs> never mind that there's a dynamic for why gold and silver, yeah. uh, because gold is not divisible or sorry, it's not, it's, you know, it's too valuable per ounce yeah. to use on an everyday basis. So you need a smaller uh, kind of money. But anyway, I, that was all a little beyond me at that point, I think. So, you know, so I basically, we dabbled, but generally what we were doing is like mining, you know, shit coins or altcoins and selling most of that for Bitcoin. And so, you know, I think in the end, uh, what really saved me was in terms of just not going crazy down that rabbit hole of, of altcoins and everything was, I think just the idea that, you know, first mover advantage is a big deal. So even though I didn't probably understand all of the reasons why Bitcoin um, would probably be the winner, just the fact that it, the market cap was so much bigger. And I guess ultimately too, I didn't really see a whole lot of innovation really when you dug into it. And so, you know, as I think Teal, Peter Teal talks about this like 10X idea, right? So like for something, for a technology to supplant an older technology, it needs to be 10 times better 
Yeah. Uh, and so it's like, well, Bit first of all, Bitcoin hasn't supplanted really anything yet. But, you know, even if it at that point, even if it does, these other tech, you know, these other altcoins don't seem like they're a huge uh, move in any better direction. So, but yeah, so I guess, and then Ethereum came along and that really was probably the first time where I was a little bit intrigued beyond Bitcoin. And yeah. so I actually, I, um, I may or may not have got <laughs> some of the crowd sale. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so you touched uh, the sound canceled. Let's go. <laughs> I know. Seriously. Yeah. Uh, but look, you know, I, we all sin, right? And yeah, fall short yeah. of the glory of God, right? So, who among us? Who among us? Yeah, no, listen. <laughs> Who's going to cast the first stone? Exactly. Um, right. But so, so I, and, and also in my defense, at that point, you know, they had tried to position it. And it was smart marketing. It was like, you know, we're not, this is, this is not competing with Bitcoin. This is a world computer. It's going to do different things. And yeah. so their marketing was very, very careful. And, uh, and, and I get, and at that point I was, really a noob with computer science. So yeah, I didn't really even know about, you know, the trade-offs of like, hey, maybe you don't want to have all the computation on the blockchain. Maybe that's yeah. not a good idea. So I got in uh, and was dabbling with Ethereum for a few years there. Um, but like, okay, so let's get back now to, well, I guess it all it all comes together. So I really think God used, used Bitcoin in my life um, to, to bring me back to the kingdom in many ways. And I mean, it was a combination of things, but so the relationship blows up. I get into Bitcoin and I quit. Sorry, this is the relationship with your, the, the four, I, four year relationship. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. With, with this, this lady that I was with. Um, and you know, and we had had issues too, along the lines of, you know, basically I would say I was still very conservative politically and, and ideologically. Yeah. Um, she was like so many women in a city like New York, just a standard liberal, you know, yeah. And so we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. And that, that was, I think, a big par part of why the relationship broke up. Sure. Um, and then I think the other thing, too, which to anyone who's maybe living in sin, quite frankly, and not married, not being married, not having committed to this woman, and essentially having the ability or the, you know, the, um, I guess, the, the belief that I had the right to just walk off whenever I wanted to, mm. I think that's really hard on women, especially because it's hard for them to feel comfortable and committed if if you're always one foot out the door. Sure. And then also I had, like so many in our generation, just bought into this idea that children are a burden and I need to have a lot of money before I have children yeah. and all these sorts of ideas. We didn't have, we didn't, we didn't try for children. So, you know, so when you, to me, I, I as I've gotten older and thought this through a lot, it's it seems clear that men and women, we come together primarily to, to procreate. That's, that's the, the main thing, at least in a, in a worldly sense. Right. Um, and so when you don't do that, there's really not, there's no glue there or, or the glue isn't strong enough. You need that, that family bond that happens when you have a child that you're caring for. So we didn't have that. And we were ideologically, you know, in disagreement and things just, we just kind of fell out of love, as you would say. Sure. Uh, and I think ultimately too, I was just very selfish and, and self-focused and uh, didn't love her, you know, in a, in a godly way, obviously. Yeah. Um, but this is also around the time where I started getting into psychedelic drugs and, uh, and actually this, this girl got me into marijuana. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, so that was interesting because, this is really the the crack in my materialistic worldview um, because 
you know, with marijuana, it was more just sort of feel good and, you know, whatever. But when I got into um, LSD and, and psilocybin mushrooms, I had some experiences that were so bizarre and hard to explain and rationalize that I, I basically had to admit that, that there is a realm beyond this realm, that there's a reality or maybe a dimension or, you know, and I was reading a lot of physics books and stuff. So I was like, oh, maybe it's an alternate dimension, blah, blah. But long story short, it, it, you know, there was a crack at that point in, in my materialistic view of the world. And, mm -hmm. um, and so God really used that. And I don't, we don't need to go too deep into those experiences because I know we've got limited time here. Yeah, you're good. Um, yeah. But suffice to say, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that people go out and do these drugs. Although maybe if you are watching this and you don't believe uh, any of this spiritual stuff and you think we're all Looney Tunes, then actually maybe maybe you should. Although I would I would caveat that by saying be aware that you may be communicating with demons if you do it. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I had one experience where I basically saw a demon in a mirror, which the demon was me, and it was very creepy and bizarre. And then I was like pulled out of my body and looking down on myself. And I feel like I was able to see, uh, with, with some of God's love, uh, I was able to see myself. So it was a very strange out-of-body experience. Uh, but God used that. Also, my relationship with my parents had been very damaged because I really looked at them, you know, in a lot, with a lot of anger, essentially thinking, you know, you guys basically brainwashed, brainwashed me with all this Christian stuff, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and you're just, you're a bunch of fools. And I mean, I, you know, I just, I, I wish I had different parents, essentially, was how I acted. And, uh, and I, I had sent them this book, uh, um, God is not great by Christopher Hitchens. And this was like, I thought this book was so cool. And I was, oh man, he's just really nailed these Christians. And, uh, you know, and to my, my parents' defense, they actually read the book, both of them. And they took notes, detailed yeah. notes about why this is wrong. And of course, at that point, I didn't read any of it because I, I probably couldn't have handled it. And I just, I don't know, they're brainwashed. They can't even face reality. So... <laughs> So, but, but, but I had another experience on psychedelics that essentially it, it, it helped me to see like, okay, at that point I'm like, my parents are wrong, but they did what they did because they thought it was the right thing. And I was able to, at least at that point in, in, in my life, like come back to them and start treating them with what I felt was grace towards them. And so our relationship started to repair and that was really crucial, um, and so anyway, so the psychedelic thing starts happening. I, I leave New York City because it's expensive and I quit my job and I, I'm like, and I had some Bitcoin, but it's like, I don't want to, obviously I'm not living on my Bitcoin you know, if I can help it. So I moved to Mexico and then, and, and around this time I also started to, yeah, well, let me back up. So basically as I'm quitting the, the gold job, my intention is as crazy as it sounds, I was like, all right, I think I'm going to try to learn how to program computers because if this Bitcoin thing is the future, I've got to learn how to be a, a part of this and contribute and I want to see it succeed. Yeah. So, so I started teaching myself Python online and, uh, you know, this was like 2016, 2017. Um, no, I'm sorry. This would have been more like 2015, 2014, 2015. Um, so I started learning that. And, and then of course, because I was coming from the finance world, you know, one of the traps that you fall into with Bitcoin is, oh, I'm going to trade this thing and I'm going to mm. get, I'm going to make more Bitcoin and I'm going to, no. you know, yeah. So I started, I tried to get into algorithmic trading, which is a bunch of pseudoscience bullshit, but 
like I fell down that rabbit hole for a couple of years and I basically started uh, this algo trading startup called CoinCube. And uh, so it was like, the idea was it was a software as a service product where you would connect it to an exchange and you could dial in. Well, initially we were trying to do a trend following strategy, which, <laughs> you know, it's, you could very easily backdate. Like if you have a couple of years of data, you can run an algorithm and, and have it perfectly fitted to that model and it'll look amazing. But of course, then when you use it in reality, it just is yeah. total <laughs> shit and it doesn't work. So that, and I was sadly too stupid at that point to understand that. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I ate my own dog food. And what was, well, and what's interesting is actually I did, it did work for me for a while and I did make some money with it, right? So I'm like thinking, oh man, I want, I'm, gonna, I'm printing money here. Then I start selling the product that starts, you know, it starts blowing up. So I, I pivoted to doing like an index fund and that's much less sort of like, you know, um, hard to sell at least, but it was like, okay, so you buy your, your, your weighted basket and we'll rebalance it. You could set the rebalancing window and blah, blah, blah. So we get into an accelerator program 2017 um, in Zurich, Switzerland. And I had two guys from New York that I met at meetups and I was going to the Bitcoin meetup early on. So I ran into, you know, a lot of notable people there. Um, I remember meeting in kind of interesting times, but so Anyway, so this startup is going, we get into this accelerator, we go to Zurich, um, Switzerland, and this was the fall of 2017. So this is like right when the market is just going parabolic. Yeah. Um, and, and we start getting a lot of people signing up. So we were had a couple hundred users and then like sort of as that program's going, we're getting into the thousands and thousands of signups. I think we hit like like 12,000, something like that. Oh, wow. Uh, now, not all of them were using it, but even like, let's say a tenth of them or so were probably sure. using the... Uh, and unfortunately, my engineer, who I had entrusted with building our trading algo, because um, I built like a prototype and he was he took it over. Well, this guy, and you know, he went to um, he went to uh, Cornell. He was a Cornell dropout, uh, Chinese American guy, very yeah. smart, but not as smart as I thought. And he did parallelize our trading system. And so, essentially, what that means is it's like you got a one lane road, and you can only handle so much traffic per minute. Yeah. Uh, and, and the way to scale a system like that is you have to build a multi-lane highway. Yeah. And we didn't have that highway. So we start getting users signing up and I'm thinking we're off to the races. And then all of a sudden the system starts breaking. We have to shut down. Yeah. So I had to close off the beta sign up and, and the thing blows up, basically blows up in my face. And then around that time, uh, you know, so I'm living with this, this guy and his name was Jibben. Uh, watch out for Jibben. Jibin knee. I'll, I'll name. I'll, Did he have a I'll name it. Paradox? Is that Jibin's paradox? No. Yeah. No. I know. So, well, sort of. Yeah. The paradox was. So the guy. The guy turned out to be basically an alcoholic. I didn't realize it until I was living with him, and we're we're working. You know, right across from each other. He's got these flasks, and I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> like yeah. during the day, like coding and drinking. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um. And so, you know, but I had my own problems. Like, who am I to judge at that point? I'm I'm, I'm basically a, a pothead and. Yeah, you know all sorts of things. But long story short, that that you know the thing blows up in my face. Then he quits, um, and then a couple months later, uh, I I lost a lot of Bitcoin on an exchange that was connected. So I like two years prior, I had set this up for testing. Yeah, I forgot the API key. Um, oh. Like like many tens of Bitcoins were 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 stolen. Oh. I I I don't know for sure, but this guy Jibin had the key. He had the API key. 
he had the know-how, he had the access. And what I sadly was not smart enough to understand at the time is there were withdrawal act. There's no withdrawal access on the key. So I'm like, oh, it's yeah. fine. They can't take the money. Well, what he did is he traded the attacker traded my account against an illiquid market on Kraken's exchange we were on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so basically the, there was maybe $30,000 worth of, or 30,000 pounds, let's say, worth of open orders on this market. So he put his own orders at like a couple pounds per, uh, per Bitcoin and he just slammed my entire, my entire portfolio into that order bug. So he liquidated the existing orders and then the rest of it liquidated at, at his price. So he wa he walked off with you know most of the money whoever it was like yeah um yeah and Kraken wouldn't help and I was really hopeful because I'm like all right so you know there's withdrawal limits on accounts there should be so maybe you know if I can contact them and explain they basically just said oh you know you it's if if it was your API key there's nothing we could do about it and you know, oh man uh, so yeah so don't leave your money on exchanges like ever. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was a really hard lesson. I was, that was the first time in my life where I was really like very co close to suicide. Like I was thinking about jumping off of buildings because, you know, at that point in my life, here I am, I I'm living for today, for now, this world, this is all there is, uh, you know, in my mind, that's, that's what I believed. And, um, and, and here I am and I'd been so smart. I, I'd beat the system. I've got millions of dollars. I'm like, I'm, I'm set for life. And, you know, I'm just so, I might get the, the peak of, of just, uh, you know, self, self-reliance and, and, uh, pride. Right. Um, and just get totally wiped out and humbled in one day. Um, and, uh, but of course now, you know, as, as crazy it may, as it may sound, I actually thank God for that because yeah. it, it really was the humbling that I needed, uh, in so many ways in my life, I needed to be humbled. And, uh, you know, and so God used whoever that person was who took the money. <laughs> uh, and of course it was still wrong and, you know, all sure, of that, but, sure, but God's, God's able to, to, uh, as Romans eight twenty eight says, he works all things together for the good of those who love him mm. and are called according to his purpose. Um, and so God used that. And that was the beginning of, of me coming back to Christ because, you know, effectively it was like, all right, so maybe I'm not as amazing as I, you know, sort of in this egomaniacal phase, I realized I did have my faults. Um, and then I started thinking about, you know, looking back with, some regret on the relationships I'd had with women and how I treated them. And this was also around the time when Antifa BLM start making headlines. And I think what I realized then was this, this sort of story that was, was told when I was in college, which is like, Hey, we live and let live. And you know, if you want to be gay and do this and that, it's cool, whatever. Like you're not hurting anyone. Right. That was the big thing. It's like, and the libertarian thinking on this kind of dovetails with that as well. Right. It's like, yeah. you know, so that's where I was in my thinking. But then I started to see that narrative breaking apart where it wasn't. I didn't see these activists as wanting to live and let live. It was like, no, we want to impose our way of thinking and our life on you and on your kids. Like, yeah. we, right, we're coming for your kids. We're coming, right? Stuff like that. And so, you know, and then, of course, since since then, like the transgender thing has increased in, um, you know, in sort of... Uh, their demands and, and then what was going on with, um, with pronouns in, in Canada and some of the big cities and stuff. So this stuff started to finally click. And all these years, my brother, Josh, um, was a, a faithful Christian and we'd have these conversations and I was always very, um, dismissive and, and, and sort of like would talk down to him. Like, you know, I'm the guy who went to New York and did well. And, you know, you're in Ohio with these like normie people and, you know, 
you know, you, you know, you, you believe all these superstitions and I'm scientific and I've read all these books. And <laughs> so I would talk down to him, but one of the things he, he told me, which, you know, he was right. He was like, he's like, Robert, you know, today it's about, you know, you know, having sex with a man or whatever, but you know, in a couple of years, it's going to be, you know, why don't we have sex with children or how about animals or like, it's just going to get more and more uh, perverse. Yeah. And I just was dismissive, but so, but you know, around 2018 and 2017 and 18 and so on, I started to reevaluate some of these ideas. And, uh, and I started realizing that there were scriptures that seemed to make sense, both in my personal life and in terms of how the world was operating. And so I think I, I became open at least to Christianity or to the Bible as a source of wisdom. Uh, so I was, and there's a lot of, I, I definitely see this a lot in Bitcoin too. You'll see guys who are kind of on the fence, but they're like, well, yeah, the Bible's got some wisdom in it. Yeah. So that's kind of where I was for a while. Um, and then God essentially, you know, just slowly and patiently worked with me. And, um, and this kind of culminated in 2020. So this is when, uh, you know, the world really started to lose its mind. And um, <laughs> I, I was, I was very disturbed by what happened with, you know, COVID-19 and, um, I, you know, I believe it was essentially a psychological operation. I think that they renamed the cold flu and got everyone to freak out about it. Um, and then they used, I don't know if you've, um, heard, um, Carrie Mullis, this guy also strangely died in 2019, uh, in December, just a few months before all this starts happening. This guy was very, uh, critical of Anthony Fauci and all sorts of stuff. So it's very strange coincidence. But anyway, this guy, Kirimalis, was one of the inventors, or I think the inventor of the PCR, um, which is not a test. It's a, it's a process for essentially just replicating bits of genetic material. So you can feed it in a specific you know, sequence, and it'll go and replicate that. And you can run cycles and essentially get more and more and more of this genetic material. And, uh, you know, and so it could be useful for lab tests and not, not tests, but like, you know, lab experiments and things that scientists might want to do. Uh, but it's, it's, it doesn't, and you know, he, he's on record saying this is, this shouldn't be used for testing or diagnosing any illness. And, uh, you know, so I think they basically weaponized this PCR thing and repurposed it to scare people. And it's on record that they changed the number of cycles, uh, several times. And essentially they do that so they can get the amount of sickness, the amount of, yeah of uh infections that they want right and then like the, the the flu you know like the actual flu like the cases go down to like zero for right. a two-year period like right it's, it's, right it's uh, unbelievable that people would fall for it yeah so i saw this happen and, and it was coordinated and i traveled a bit i was in mexico when it when it first started and then i was in the states and i think i made it to one or two other countries um during that period and i and i saw the exact same as everywhere it was regimented the same stickers the same procedures and you know, it was so well coordinated that to me, it, the only explanation that I can really think of is that it's demonic. Like there's literally Satan is above all of this and he's coordinating it because to get humans to agree and work together in that capacity feels, you know, at least according to the official narrative of all these governments hate each other and they're fighting and there's wars, right? It, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, so that was, I think the final straw for me where I went from like the Bible is, you know, this book of wisdom to this, the Bible is the word of God and it is literally true. Uh, and we ignore it at our own peril. Mm. And, um, and so, 
Yeah. So then, and then I finally, and then of course, you know, you can even be there rationally, but then I was with my family. I think I told you this when we were together in, um, in Texas, but so one night I'm with my family in Michigan, my brother and my dad had bought this cabin and it was like, it was actually a house, a very nice place. They were going to be doing Airbnb with it and using it occasionally for family stuff. So we all got together. I have, um, well, I'm one of five. I have three brothers and a sister. And then, um, like, what, 12 nieces and nephews now. And so pretty big family. So we're all together. And I had written these albums I told you about earlier. So when I was in my early 20s and um, these, you know, I, I put a lot of work into these things and they never were a commercial success. So I think I was very, you know, just disappointed by that. And and if you've had disappointments in the past, as I have, a lot of times, at least what I do is I just sort of throw them behind me and try to ignore, you know, it didn't happen. So I hadn't listened to these albums in years, but my nieces and nephews grew up playing these albums because my my siblings and my family, they all liked it. Oh, wow. So they come out, we're all sitting around hanging out one evening, and they come out with a boombox, and they started playing these songs and singing them. And, and you know, and these kids are, they're, they're the coolest group. Like, they're just, you know, um, they're just, they're, they're, they're wonderful people there. You know, handsome, got it together, like, just good people. And... Yeah. Say they were singing beautifully, and it was just it was just kind of very surreal. And uh, and the only way I can explain it is it was like you know time starts slowing down. There's like a weight that comes into the room, and it's and the only way I can say is it's like the the finger of God, just like just like you know, <laughs> or like or like you know the eye of Sauron, but it's God. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I can't I can't escape this thing. I can't ignore it. And I, and, and, and it was like, God used these songs and this is weird to explain as well, but it felt like I had written music. God had inspired me to write music for myself 20 years later, like a weird time travel kind of thing. And these songs just started speaking to me about God's love for me. And, um, and then I, I remembered the story of the prodigal son and God said to me, like, you are the prodigal, this is you. And the prodigal, for those who maybe don't know it, just to quickly summarize, you know, there's this young man who wants his inheritance. He goes to this big city. He squanders it. Wild living, you know, sex, booze, rock and roll. He moves back home. I, there was, sorry, he's in the city. He's, he is destitute. He's blowing all his money. And he realizes like, hey, my, my dad's hired men are doing better than me. I'm working out of some farm, like slopping pigs. So, you know, he realizes he's going to go home. And he goes home and he says, you know, Father, I've sinned against God in heaven. Um, you know, I'm not worthy to be your son, you know make me as one of your hired men. And the father, you know, forgives him and loves him, embraces him and welcomes him, welcomes him back as a son. And, um, and God said, this is you. And this is, this is my response to you. And then, and, and, but you know, it's like in my heart, I still wanted to, to be the ruler of my life and be the king of my life. You know, as I think um, is a common experience for people who come to Christ, they have to, to grapple with this. Who is on the throne of your life? Mm-hmm. And so I'm still kind of struggling in this place, but I'm weeping in front of my entire family. It was extremely embarrassing, you know. Mm. Uh, I mean, I've, I've always been, I would say, I, I kind of a hard on my sleeve kind of guy, but to weep in front of my family, that's not something that I would normally do. So I'm just weeping. It's very embarrassing, but I couldn't stop. I, I was just, it was, like I said, I was like glued to my seat. And then the next thing that God said to me was, um, he said, you know, basically, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's difficult to kick against the goads, which is the road to Damascus, the Damascus experience where Jesus comes in the flesh or, you know, appears to Saul, um, who was a 
kill, murdering Christians. And, you know, it's difficult to kick against the goads. And I just realized, you know, it's like, if you remember as a kid, if, if you had siblings, you'd grab their hand and you'd like slap their face and be like, why do you keep hitting yourself? Why do you keep hitting yourself, right? And I was doing that. I, and God was like, you are hitting yourself. You don't have to keep doing this, right? You could just acknowledge that I'm God and you are not. And there is a right and a wrong. There is, there is truth and there is falsehood. And, and to come to reality and, and, and accept it um, and to understand that just as there are physical laws of nature, there are spiritual laws of nature that God is, has set in place and we can't ignore those. And if we do ignore them, we're going we're gonna to suffer. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of the, the point where I broke down and I said, all right, Lord, I'm going to stop fighting. I don't want to continue to live in this place of hurt and pain and, and disappointment. So I get up and go to the bathroom and I'm like trying to clean up my face. I come out and my brother Josh is standing there and he says to me, um, he says, Robert, you know, this is, this is God's agape love that you are feeling for you. Agape, agape love is, is an unconditional, um, just relentless love that doesn't stop. And, and he said, just embrace it, you know, and, and I gave my brother Josh a hug. And, and in that moment, Josh was Jesus Christ to me in the flesh. And, and I felt the, the love of God. And it was a powerful, powerful day. And, um, you know, it's since then, I, you know, I have not lived a perfect life by any stretch, but God has been refining me and peeling off and, and removing and changing and reshaping. And, you know, I went from a middling career in, in software where I was, you know, doing some jobs here and there and uh, to finding a very, like six months later, I believe that God gave me, blessed me with it, a phenomenal job. Uh, and it's been a huge blessing and I've grown leaps and bounds as a software developer since coming to Christ, I've become, I would say significantly, um, more, more skilled. And so, and then, you know, relationship has healed with family and, and friends. A lot of beautiful things have happened. I, I did lose some friends too. Of course, when you follow Christ, sure. um, you're going to be at enmity with the world. And yeah. that's something you do have to realize, you know, following Christ is not without, uh, sacrifice, but by and large, God has really poured out his blessing on me. I just got married in April to a, a beautiful uh, young Nigerian lady. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, she's actually flying. I'm in Barbados. She's flying in today and we'll be together. I was with her from April to uh, mid-July, and then I had to fly back to the States for a few things. Sure. So anyway, um, but God's really blessed me. But And the most bizarre, crazy thing probably about that um, was two months after uh, I came back to Christ and was hugging my brother, Josh. He died unexpectedly at age 43. He was hiking with his two boys, um, high school age boys in, uh, in Wyoming, uh, in the Teton mountains. And, you know, I don't know if it was a combination of elevation and, uh, he was a little out of shape, different things. He kind of ate the standard American diet. He also had a doctor at age 40 who started uh, prescribing statins to him. I've dug into that a bit, and it's it yeah. looks to me like it's the exact opposite of what you should do for your heart. And so, you know, um, yeah. very, very, very crazy. I mean, essentially, the, the short version of that whole thing, just to plug this idea for people, is, you know, cholesterol is the building block of testosterone, which is the number one uh, marker of health in males. And it's also a uh, it's also used in, in basically coding all the neurons and, and uh, you know, it's, it's all the all the cells in your body are coded in. Uh, cholesterol. So it's extremely important for human health. And if you take a statin, it removes cholesterol from your body. And by the way, if you don't eat enough cholesterol, your body will produce it. So this, this whole thing is, 
in my opinion, absolute garbage. Um, yeah. And yeah, and, and for, for more on that, just look into like uh, Dr. Ken Berry uh, and others who are in the direction of carnivore diet. And uh, that's basically what I am eating now effectively, like a, a Lewis carnivore. I'm not super, super strict, but um, but yeah, so my brother dies and all I can say is, you know, of course it was you know, devastating to lose him, yeah. but I, I feel peace in my heart in the sense that I know Josh had some missions on this earth. And one of those missions was to to, to hug me and to love me back into the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and to speak truth to me and to, to stand for truth. Uh, and he did those years that you were away. You're saying, yeah, yeah, exactly. Throughout those years I was away. He, he was not afraid to say harsh and hard things to me in love, you know? And, uh, so I'm forever grateful for my brother and, um, and I believe I will see him in, in heaven someday. And, and having that, um, consolation is wonderful and God's blessed his family since his, his, his boys have really blossomed into godly young men and they're doing very well. And, so, you know, God, God's ways are beyond us. I, I don't understand it all, but I'm trying yeah. to tr- trust him. Um, yeah. So for those who have lost loved ones, I understand. I, I could experience, yeah. I've experienced. Um, but yeah, so that's basically my testimony and we can go a little longer. I know we said we were going to try to do about an hour, but I hate to sure. cut it without talking about Bitcoin at all or whatever else. Yeah. <laughs> no, honestly, I mean, this is fine. Like this, it's been, it's been great. I mean, again, I... We, you know, you kind of shared, I guess, a good good chunk of this with me earlier, but there's still a lot that I didn't, you know, I, that we didn't yeah. talk about that I've benefited from from listening. And again, cool. it's always just, it's great to hear the story, just to be reminded, you know, that God's alive and in the world and working in people's lives. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. all, all of these things are, everything that's happening is happening underneath, you know, his hand and and is being used for his purposes. Yeah. Um, let me let me ask you, so, uh, you know, you, you had spoke about... Um, using uh psychedelics and and those things and the the thing one of the things that we talked about was like this is this is by no means you are by no means the only person uh especially within the bitcoin world who has had this kind of testimony this experience yeah uh, and so and you and the thing that i loved about you was just the fact that you know you were very quick to you know point out you're like you know just because this is a, a description of what happened in me, like, I'm not saying this is prescriptive, um, in recognizing, you know, again, like if it's true that this is, this is opening it in, in revealing a spiritual, a spiritual realm that actually exists, you know, there's, there's beings in this spiritual realm that are no joke, you know? Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. So, so I read a book maybe three months ago that I recommend on this topic. It's called the return of the dragon. And I think this has helped to put things into focus for me a bit more. And I would say I'm more or less in agreement with that author. I can't think of the guy's name at the top of my head, but if you just search on Amazon return of the dragon, you'll find the book. Um, but yeah, I, I think those experiences taught me that there is a spiritual realm because I experienced it and, and they, I saw and felt and, and, you know, things that I couldn't explain and the physical happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that essentially you know, as, as I, cause I, with anything that I get into, I read a lot about it. And so, you know, a few things that I read, which again, of course, be careful with worldly knowledge because a lot of it is nonsense, but I think this is probably true. So what I read is that in your, I think it's your pituitary, in the middle of your brain, um, when you die, DMT is released. You have this in your body. It's endogenous in your body. And apparently when you die, it's, this is released and there's a lot that's released. So I never did DMT myself, but this is another psychedelic drug that people do. Now with DMT, 
the the claim is that people literally go to another place. Like with LSD and and psilocybin, things get more hyper realistic in you know blurry or 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 um like I was looking at my face in the mirror, and I could see all the cells and it, it, you know it was wow. wild. But um but with with DMT, it's like you literally go to another realm and you talk to entities like you know yeah. and they're called elf people or. Um, machine elves and Terrence McKenna and some of these guys got really deep into these rabbit holes. But long story short, I think when you look at those experiences of these people who are not Christian and you compare them with the the Bible's teaching of demons uh, and and read that book that I just recommended to get a better context on this because it's a long discussion. But the, the short of it is, yes, I think you are you are um, opening yourself up to the spiritual realm. the The barrier is lessened. Um, and, and I think even for, you know, Christians that could probably sound, um, you know, enticing, but, but the, the problem with shortcuts, cause I would say in some ways it's essentially a spiritual shortcut. The problem with shortcuts is there's always, there's always, uh, there's a side effect, right? Like, yes. you know, you take caffeine and you get all jittery and happy and you're working and, but then three hours later you're crashed. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's consequences. So I would be very cautious, um, with these substances and I wouldn't necessarily recommend them for people. Uh, like I said, maybe if you're watching this and you're literally like, I don't believe in God and I think this is all nonsense, maybe it would help you. But just realize that if you do talk to an entity, it may be a demon. And the demons may even help you. And that's the thing yeah. uh, in that yes. book. It, without going too far into it, the one point that I think is powerful is he explains how all throughout history you have different civilizations that use psychedelics and spiritual uh, practice. And invariably, it starts out with the demons helping these civilizations or these peoples. Yeah. But then it, it ends in the demons asking for blood and there's human sacrifice and child sacrifice and all of these yeah. sorts of things. So that's that's the short of it. Is I think I think these demons will bring you on a journey, but it, it ends in madness and yeah. and death. Yeah, yeah. And th- and this is something like I mean, you see this in films, right? Like there's the, there's some like good filmmakers where they make you know, they, they create a plot where, you know, the bad guy appears good in the beginning and then there's like a twist where you know, where, where these things change. And so it, it you know, it doesn't seem strange to me at all that that could be something that would happen. Um, again, it, it is, it is just amazing. You know, like there's so many awful things. I was talking, we had this conversation. We actually were talking about um, psilocybin and, and some of these things uh, this past weekend with some friends who are in LA. Uh, we were out there for Pacific Bitcoin. And, uh, and, you know, I just said like, it is just amazing that, you know, God's been painting, uh, using crooked sticks to paint straight lines for, you know, for as long as humans have been, have been around. And so it's just amazing to see, you know, that there's no lengths, you know, that God can't redeem people from and God can't, there's nothing he won't use, uh, you know, just to demonstrate his power and, and his commitment to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another thing in this, I had never, I had never really unpacked this at all uh, and really thought about this at all, but the, the, the logic of, of taking psychedelics as, especially for those who use them rec- recreationally, you know, part of it, at least for, for some of them is, you know, they, they want to draw closer to God. Mm-hmm. And, and like, and so I think that again, that's, it, it's commendable on one level. Like, you know, as right. you see this, like that, that's a good thing. Um, and yet it does seem the logic of it very closely, very tightly parallels, uh, you know, the logic of, first of all, uh, you know, the taking and eating of the fruit in Eden, you know, we're like, if you take this thing and you eat it, you know, you take it in, uh, it will make you like God right. and, and it'll give you this, this secret knowledge that you, that you won't have access to otherwise. Uh, but first of all, like that's, that's a kind of, again, sc- semi scary, you know, parallel. 
Um, another thing would be on the positive end would just be like, this is the logic of, of the, uh, of the Lord's supper or the Eucharist or, you know, whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. is, you know, like Christ says, you know, this is my body, which is broken for you. And this is, you know, this cup is, is, you know, my blood, which is, you know, spilled for you. And so again, you, you take this in to commune with the living God, you know, and you commune right. with the body of Christ, you know, the, everyone, you know, everyone who believes in Jesus is, is part of his body. And so, you know, this is and when we gather together and we and we participate in this, we're communing with God. Uh, and so, you know, seeing uh, seeing these these drugs as somehow like an anti anti Eucharist uh, is I think it seems legitimate. You know, it seems like a legitimate thing, like a, a legitimate way to to view it. Um it's, yeah, and I would be surprised if the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was a psychedelic. It's it's passable. Yeah, uh, it's very possible. So, yeah, and I, and again, I, I'm not even saying that 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 it was necessarily like that. I'm just saying like the that it was something like that. Just the logic of it being the same. Like, take this thing, and it will give you. It'll make you like God. It'll it'll give you this experience that will open your eyes to you know truths that you've have been denied you or something. Right. Like that. Right. Yeah, and, and it, there's there's sort of the occult uh, draw, right? The hit is the unknown, and I think the diagnosis or whatever, you know. Right, right, and of course, I think people, I 100% agree with you because I think people can have this desire for truth and for God, but if Satan could could use this these experiences to get them like a false a false god, right, a false reality, something that that is close, it's a counterfeit. Uh, yes. Right, and and of course the scripture tells us that Satan uh, masquerades as an angel of light, right? Angel of light, and, yeah. And, and so, and there's other many other passages with similar uh, thinking on this topic. So I 100% agree. I think people should be extremely cautious. And and I, I I mean I so since coming back to Christ, I don't I stop smoking weed. I don't do these things anymore. And really, God's taken the desire uh, from me, and He's yeah. replaced it with a deeper, um, truer. Uh, yeah. full, fuller life and fuller experience. And so, and I have, you know, experiences that, um, that are deep and moving, they're different. Um, but, but God, you know, and, and I, and I think the danger too for Christians and, and for my Christians is if you are seeking these sort of ecstatic spiritual experiences, yeah. it almost becomes like it's another addiction or another drug in a sense. Yeah. And so you see this in Christian churches, sometimes with the more charismatic leaning, and I'm not all yeah. opposed to all of that yeah, yeah, yeah. necessarily, but but the danger there is: does this just become a thing where you're seeking an experience yes. instead of the person or the the, the entity, the, the being who is the the yes. you know, the creator of all experience, right? Yeah. Instead uh-huh. of seeking, yeah, instead of seeking to know him, you know, like right. this can be, yeah, and like this is, yeah, some of it is just like, I mean, the scriptures are this way, this this way that God has has ordained to communicate with us. And obviously there's more than this, like the, the spirit, you know, testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. Like there, there is this spiritual reality. So, and I think this is the thing that, that is important to talk about. It's, it's not either or mm-hmm. like the Christians right. are not saying, you know, experience is bad and you should just submit yourself to a book. Right. You know, like that, right. that's not what's being said. The the is that, yeah. yeah, exactly. What's being said is that, you know, the scripture is a living, <laughs> it's a living word and God is alive and speaks through this. Yeah. And, and uses his word to communicate to us in, in ways that, that animate our emotions, in ways that, that guide and direct them uh, towards fruitful uh, activities that are beneficial both for ourselves and uh, every bit as importantly, you know, for, for God's glory and for the good of those around us. Right. Uh, and right. so I think that, 
Yeah, Jesus yeah. wept, right? So yeah, it's okay yeah. to it's okay to cry for people who need Christ, or or yeah. to real like cry at our own sin, right? To, I read the Bible and sometimes I cry because God's Spirit moves me to the point where it's like involuntary, but I'm just overwhelmed yeah. by the presence of God and and the realization of yeah. you know His grace in my life and what He's doing in the world. So yeah, I don't. God is not. It's, it's you're exactly right. It's not a, either or. It's both and in the sense yeah. of but but what is the what is the point of it all? Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is, this is, again, this is, this is frequently what, I mean, this is the way you see, you know, Satan work throughout, throughout the Bible is creates these false, false choices, mm-hmm. you know, false dichotomies and false choices. And, and so, and, and I would even say again, uh, to, to people who are, who are doing these things, it's, it's not, again, I think we've obviously, we've talked about this, that God, you know, can and has used them. Uh, and yet, like, again, there, there's ways that, there's ways and purposes that God has uh, that that supersede simply, you know, having an experience. And so, you know, if those things, you know, have been a, you know, if God has used these means and like, you know, being grateful for that, but then again, pressing into and, and pursuing, um, you know, these these greater ways uh, and and more, I would say, at some level, like normative ways that God has revealed Himself and revealed what His His will is. I think is is a you know, it's a, a sign of maturity, you know, that yeah. you're, um, you know, because again, there is just so much to our everyday relations, relationships and experience that does use our active mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and one of the things that God, you know, he, to, to love him is to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. You know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, to, a total it's holistic. Uh, yeah. It's a yeah. holistic, exactly. It's a holistic experience. Right. Uh, and so we don't, we don't, we don't put the you know, we don't put reason and uh, in our mind at odds with knowing God and having these experience with God. It's it's part and parcel. You mm-hmm. know, these things work very much together. Um, yeah. So let me just riff on that for one second. Yeah, do this. Go for it. I think a, a part of what draw drew me back to Christ in the end was also that I started seeing. You know, I guess you could call it bro science. That was discovering things that you know, like I think I may write a book on this someday. But if you look at the what what God asks from His people for sacrifice? What's the main? What's the the, the best of the best? Is is a cow, right? It's the it's the yeah. the meat, the heart, the different the 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 organs and things from a cow, right? And granted, they were pastoral people, and and that's how they survived. But I mean, as a carnivore, I I think you know beef is like the number one thing you could eat. And so it's interesting that it baked into the Bible and into these the sacrificial system that God enacts. To to make uh, to to set the stage for Christ to come and be the the final sacrifice for all sin, and for those who don't get that, it's it's God is perfectly just and perfectly merciful, and the only way to reconcile that is through the cross of Christ, um, and that's what's so beautiful. And it's it is a paradox. There there are some things that are hard hard uh, beyond me to understand, um, but it doesn't make them not true just because my mind can't totally grasp. Yeah. But nonetheless, you know, so things like. Uh, you know, diet, um, finance, like essentially just kind of going down the, uh, the the rabbit hole we've all been going down, which is that most of what we were told by the world is absolute utter nonsense and taught in universities and schools and stuff. Like when you start to realize that lies are the, the norm, not the exception, um, and you realize that the word of God has stood through all these, t- through thousands of years and has been speaking the same truth and has been correct. You know, when it talks about God abhors unequal weights and measures, that God is saying he doesn't like, he hates, you know, central banking, 
fiat money, yes. all of this stuff, right? So God has told us thousands of years ago, but we have been too dumb as a species to to submit to his, his way. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so all of that to say that the mind is in agreement with the spirit when we when we yeah. pursue God and, and read his word and submit yeah. to it, submit our lives to it. And the last thing I want to say on this topic too is I think as I become more disciplined, and this is th- something that I did work on uh, when I was away from, from God and Christ in my life for many years, I was a fairly disciplined person, exercise, yeah. doing this and that. And the, the spiritual disciplines are critical uh, to a walk with Christ. And so that means we should be daily reading the Word of God, daily praying, mm-hmm. daily um, serving, finding ways to give. Um, you know, so uh, and it's a joy when we do these things. And as we submit to to God's way, we become a slave to goodness and to righteousness. Yeah. And instead of being a slave to sin, because you know, as I think it was uh, Bob Dylan, you know, uh, saying, "You're you got to serve. You got to serve somebody, right? You're going to either serve the devil or the Lord, but you got to serve somebody." Uh, great song um, from one of his albums where he was a professing Christian, and then he's yeah. sadly slipped off the deep end here. But um, yeah, I mean, that that's the bottom line is if you think you are running your life and you're the God of your life and you're the king, uh, you're you're sorely mistaken. You are serving Satan and you just don't realize it. Uh, yeah. But yeah. So to quote the great philosopher, uh, the Incredible Hulk from one of the Marvel uh, Avengers movies, puny god like this this is the right this is what it comes out to yeah, is you're a puny we, god are right. right we just aren't we don't have the 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 knowledge the strength you know whatever to you know to really effectively make our kingdom come and our will be done right and so right. ultimately right. you know god is 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 calling us to to live for you know his kingdom and um yeah you know and, and to to bring his kingdom into the world and then and to in order to do that he gives us his power to be able right. to to do those things right robert Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jordan. We'll have to get you back for part two. Oh, I'd love it. And uh, kind of hear some of the stuff you're working on. Um, You know, where can people find you? So I am trying to leave Twitter. I essentially just am on there to connect with people here and there. Um, But it's probably going to be, I'm going to delete it within the next six months, I think. So at this point, um, you can email me. Should I give that out? (laughs) That I just don't have people find you on Twitter, and then you can get- yeah yeah that Satoshi sound on Twitter, or if you go on um, on uh, Noster, and you I think it's Satoshi sound at um, toaster space, you should be able to find me on there. Yeah. yeah so and uh, yeah, and then you can find your for those of you guys who are on Noster. Um, if you are not on Noster, you should go listen to right now and subscribe and like and stream sats to uh, the Thank God for Noster podcast. Uh, we'd love to probably. Get another episode with you over there. We can talk about all things Nostr. Awesome. Um, Love it. But if they can find your Twitter, they should be able to find your NPUB to, to find you. It's on, on there too. Yep. yep. Okay. Awesome. Well, Robert, thank you so much, man. Yeah. I really appreciate it. It's awesome to hear, uh, you know, just the way the Lord's worked in your life. And again, we'll, we'd love to have you on again and get, uh, get some more info about what's going on, what you're working on. We'll do it. Thanks, Jordan. God bless. I can see you.